Hi, this is Sarah, and this is the podcast version of my newsletter called Sarah by the Season, where I explore a little bit of everything that's on my mind as I try to lean into nature's wisdom and rhythms. I'm recording outside today next to the bird feeders, so hopefully you'll hear some bird song. Subscribe and learn more at sarahbytheseason.com. This week's newsletter is titled In Praise of Evolving, Verbs versus Nouns. I picked up a book at the library a few months ago based solely on the title, I Didn't Do the Thing Today, Letting Go of Productivity Guilt by Madeline Dorr. I was expecting just to flip through it, thinking it would be just another self-helpy book, but I ended up reading the whole thing and taking plenty of notes. In her chapter on the pitfalls of expectations, Dorr writes, we make the mistake of labeling ourselves as nouns when we are really verbs. We are not a runner, but rather a person who runs. We're not a writer, but a person who writes. Our sense of self doesn't have to be bundled up with whether we did the thing today, because we are not the things we do. This goes against a ton of anecdotal wisdom. The famous quote attributed to Aristotle, we are what we repeatedly do, or just about every quote on any motivational poster you've ever seen. And famous habit writer James Clear even says that connecting your identity to your habits is a key to habit-keeping success. But Doors' warning rings truer for me. We aren't static nouns so much as dynamic verbs. One hopes, anyway. I love the freedom Doors labeling offers instead of the strict confines of noun-based characterizations. If we offered ourselves the flexibility to pursue our curiosities instead of sticking to some set of standards, usually set upon us by someone else, we would likely learn much more about ourselves and the world around us. We would know what works best for us instead of assuming what worked for our parents, our friends, or the latest self-help writers will work for us. We would be more open to trying new things, to question our assumptions, and to evolving into new versions of ourselves. Living in tune with the seasons teaches us this lesson, too. There are seasons for running and writing, and seasons for resting and creating. Seasons for healing, and seasons for launching. One isn't better than the other. The fallow seasons are no less beautiful, necessary, and life-giving than the abundant seasons. What we do, repeatedly or not, does not make us any more or less worthy of love, belonging, and compassion. We know this. We probably teach this to our children. And yet, we judge and critique ourselves endlessly by this tidy list of things we did and didn't do today that lives in our heads. Or at least it lives in mine. The version of capitalism we're living under finds it profitable to flatten us into static, certain identities, into nouns. Nouns can be categorized, marketed to, defined, and managed. Verbs are messier, less clear, more wild. Doris' advice reminded me of braiding sweetgrass, in which Robin Wall Kimmerer tells the story of learning her native Potawatomi and discovering that it, like most indigenous languages, is a language of verbs. Where English is about 30% verbs, Potawatomi is 70% verbs. Elsewhere, Kimmerer writes about what the verbiness of Potawatomi offers us. The language that my grandfather was forbidden to speak is composed primarily of verbs, ways to describe the vital beingness of the world. Both nouns and verbs come in two forms, the animate and the inanimate. You hear a blue jay with a different verb than you hear an airplane, distinguishing that which possesses the quality of life from that which is merely an object. Birds, bugs, and berries are spoken of with the same respectful grammar as humans are, as if we were all members of the same family, because we are. There is no it for nature. Living beings are referred to as subjects, never as objects, and personhood is extended to all who breathe and some who don't. I greet the silent boulder people with the same respect as I do the talkative chickadees. It's no wonder that our language was forbidden. The language we speak is an affront to the ears of the colonists in every way, because it is a language that challenges the fundamental tenets of Western thinking. 
that humans alone are possessed of rights and all the rest of the living world exists for human use. Those who my ancestors called relatives were renamed natural resources. In contrast to verb-based Potawatomi, the English language is made up primarily of nouns, somehow appropriate for a culture so obsessed with things. English has come to be the dominant language of commerce in which contracts to convert a forest to a copper mine are written. It's just the right language for the purpose, because the forest and the copper ore are equivalent its. English encodes human exceptionalism, which privileges the needs and wants of humans above all others, and understands us as detached from the commonwealth of life. Perhaps thinking of ourselves and others as verbs instead of nouns isn't just generally good for breaking up with the cult of productivity as Dora intended. Perhaps, as Kimmerer contends, it is a larger countercultural act that opens our eyes to our interconnectedness with the human and more than human world, with our own imaginations, and with our innate desire to grow and evolve. It's an invitation to being open instead of closed off, to curiosity instead of complacency, to compassion instead of judgment, to sovereignty instead of submission. You'll have to check out the actual newsletter for my rants and raves and stuff we're sharing this week, which you can find at sarahbytheseason.substack.com. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you know of someone else who might like this sort of thing, I would love it if you would share it with them. You don't know how big of a difference it makes to writers and creators when you share our work. Learn more at sarahbytheseason.com. And cheers to evolution in the week ahead.